You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. Well, I want to welcome you to the introduction of our verse-by-verse study through the letter of James. Paul and, and Josh and I have met about this, and we've been praying over over this study. We are really looking forward to this study, and I want to encourage you, uh, just don't miss, don't miss. There's going to be so many vital key things that are going to come out in each one of these sessions, and the three of us are really looking forward to teaching this. Uh, also, uh, this is going to be a Bible study. So there's going to be a lot of turning, a lot of note taking. Uh, You'll have to really sit up and and be in gear. Uh, On Sunday morning, we want to do more of a motivational, more of an inspirational, encouraging word. But we've got to open the Bible and we've got to study. Uh, We've got to know some things. uh, And and there's no way to do it except just roll up our sleeves and, and dive into this. Have you ever noticed that not everybody who grows old grows up? There's a a vast difference between age and maturity. And the result is problems in our personal lives, problems in homes and families, problems in churches. And the biggest, the biggest, the the majority, and maybe 100% of our problems are all caused by us doing stuff that we knew we shouldn't have done when we did it. It's not like I didn't know I shouldn't have done that. I mean, if we're going to get a show of hands, all of us could raise both hands. You knew, you knew, you knew you shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have done that. That is going to end not good. That's going to end bad. That's not where you need to be. But it's just immaturity. We just stick our finger in the fire and then we start crying because it got burned. I mean, you should have never done that and you know you shouldn't have. If we would just grow up, if we would just grow up, and act mature, and do what we already know to do, and don't do what we know we shouldn't be doing. This epistle of James was written to help us grow in spiritual maturity, and the three of us are looking very forward to this. Now, let's get started. Put your ribbon there because we are going to turn to a lot of scripture, but we'll continue to come back to James. We begin... This letter is from James. Okay, we better stop. Okay, who's James? Uh, Who's James writing this letter to? Why is James writing this letter? Before we go any further in this study, we need to answer these three questions. First of all, who was James? James, read here a slave, a servant of God, a servant of the Lord Jesus. That is the way he introduces himself. Well, who is he? Let's put him in Scripture. Let's put him in, in context in the Bible. Well, if, you, if you're not aware of this, James is a very popular name in Jesus' day and time. So let's just begin by who this James is not. All right, we'll, we'll go from that angle to begin with. James, the son of Zebedee, go to Matthew chapter 4, the brother of John, he's not this James. That's another James. He couldn't be, James 
the, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, couldn't be this James because he was martyred in 44 AD, and that was several years before James wrote this letter. He was a fisherman called by Christ to follow and become a disciple. Go to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Got a lot of turning to do. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. One day, just walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net to the water, for they fish for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets and at once followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and he called to them, and they immediately followed, leaving the boat and their father behind. Okay, he, this James... And his brother, John, if y'all remember, were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. I remember that nickname. Let's get a couple more scriptures. Mark chapter 3, verse 17. James and John, sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them Sons of Thunder. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for uh, Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to Samaria village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven, burn them up? Well, no, no, that's not exactly what we should do. Uh, that, that Jesus called these two brothers the sons of thunder. He was killed by, well, let's go there to Acts chapter 12. I didn't just make this up. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some of the believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. All right, that's one James. Everybody familiar with that? The sons of thunder, the the brother of John. He was killed by the sword. He was killed some 10 year, 15 years before this James wrote the book that we're going to be, or the letter we're going to be studying. Okay, that's one James. Another James, Matthew 10, 3. Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. There is another James in the New Testament. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus. Okay, this is another James. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where the house they were staying. There were the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus. Okay, we read about this guy a couple of times. But that's about it. Very, very little is known about this James. There's another James. All right, another James in the New Testament is the father of Judas, the disciple that was not Judas the traitor. 
So every time the Bible refers to this Judas, to distinguish him from Judas the traitor, they say Judas, the son of James. So you'll read about the, the father of Judas a lot, and that is the distinction between, because there were two Judases, that was the distinction between those two Judases. Luke chapter 6, we'll read about this guy. Luke chapter 6, verse 16. Luke chapter 6, verse 16, Judas, son of James, and then Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Okay, that's three different James that you'll read in the New Testament. I hope this isn't boring, y'all. I love all this stuff. I like knowing about the Bible. I want to have a working knowledge of the Bible. So, and, and if you're bored, I don't, shame on you. You ought to be into this. I am. Okay, now let's get to this James, Matthew chapter 3. No, 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 Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. You ought to be interested in this just because of all the work that I went through to put all this together. All right, Matthew chapter 13. uh, uh, Yeah, Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. When they scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Okay, this is the James that we're going to be studying, the natural brother of Jesus, Jesus and James had the same mom. He's the most well-known leader in Christianity at this time because he was Jesus' brother. James chapter 1, the reason he needed no introduction except to just say James, everybody knew this James, and everybody knew who he was. Now, it's very interesting and we're going to talk about this because this is very impactful. Now, think this through. Here is Jesus. I mean, Jesus Christe. I mean, the real deal here. If you were, like, if, 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 if there's a star football player, there's a star singer, you want everybody to know you're Garth Brooks' brother. Yeah, yeah, we're brothers. I mean, you know, you would want everybody to know that. Well, what's very interesting is James never refers to himself as being born to Mary. Never. He always refers to himself as a servant of God or more, uh, uh, he'll always refer to himself as a slave. A slave, a bond servant, meaning I was purchased with a price. Wow, what a humble position to take when you would have all the reason to be patting yourself on the back and bragging about this. Now, this right here may be one of the most profound things that you will ever hear. I want everybody listening to this. Go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. I want you to look at this, and and I want everybody paying attention because this this is key.
John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You're not going to become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. I want everybody to look at this, verse 5. I want everybody to see this. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Everybody got that? Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. They're not coming into his church service. I'm going to hear him preach. That's my brother. I'm sick of hearing him preach. I've been hearing him talk for 30 years. I'm tired of listening to him talk. I'm staying outside. I ain't going to church and not listening to him. I'm not going. So they're outside. They're not going in. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Hey, your, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looked around to him. Look, these are my mother and brother. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, my sister, and mother. Well, imagine how that went over with his family outside. If there wasn't already a rift between them, let me just put the dagger in and finish this off. I don't even know who those people are out there. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, this just, uh, I, I can't hardly keep on my feet when I read this. It just, it just sends goosebumps down my spine. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. They all, they're in the upper room. They all met together, constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Several other women underline this. And the brothers of Jesus. They grew up with him. They lived with him for 33 years and didn't believe not one thing he preached. They weren't impressed by one miracle he did. It wasn't none of his fancy sermons, it wasn't any of his miracles. His brothers thought he was a kook rolled their eyes, didn't have nothing to do with this, then why are they in the upper room? What did they see? It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't his sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, the good news I preached to you before you welcomed it, then you still stand firm in it. This is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed it on to you what was most important and what also had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Verse 7, don't you underline this? Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. 
Church, that right there is how I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, I, now, Tim, that was 2,000 years. You don't know. That sounds like a conjured up story. Then answer me this question. Why did his own brother not believe in him, but not only did he change his mind? Well, we're going to read about this in a minute. He was martyred. He was beaten to death. Okay, what did he see that changed his mind? Church, there's only one, there is only one way that could have, there, there is no other, there is no other explanation for this. That, that his own brother, you can con everybody else, but you're not conning me. I don't believe nothing you said. Go out there and be famous. Boy, think about all the people talking about his miracles. I don't care how many people he fed with the fish and chips. I don't believe in this Jesus I don't, I'm not buying not none of that. Then what turned him around? Jesus, he got what was coming to him, hung him on the cross. He should have kept a big mouth shut. I told him that when he was a little boy. Finally got what was coming to him. Except for, we had a big change. There's only, there's only one exp- explanation for that. He visibly saw the resurrected Jesus and visited with him. That, that's the only explanation to how James went from where he was to now referring to himself, James, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm not talking about my kid brother. We're talking about the Son of God here. We're talking about the Son of God. And everything mom said about her getting pregnant and she was still a virgin and we rolled our eyes at that story for all these years, it was true. It was true. James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Paul called him a pillar in Galatians chapter 2. James was the foundation leader of Christianity. Now, let's just, let me chase a rabbit here. And I don't like to chase rabbit trails, but I just have to on this one. For all of you in here that are not Jewish, if you're not born Jewish, and there may be some Jews in here, if you are not born Jewish, if anybody ever asks you, what is your favorite chapter in the Bible, your immediate answer is Acts chapter 15. Now, just write that down because you may not know what your favorite chapter is. I'm telling you what your favorite chapter is. If anybody asks you what is your favorite chapter, your immediate answer is Acts chapter 15. For 3,000 years, God had been the God of his children. God had been the God of the Hebrews, who then later became the, the, the Israelites who later we referred to as the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, and everybody else was Gentiles, everybody else was heathens, everybody else worshipped idols, idolatry. It was uh, a child sacrifice. It was, they were barbaric. God dealt with the Jews and only the Jews. All through the Old Testament, 
You were not to intermarry. You were not to have anything to do with. The Gentiles were heathen, and God was a God of only his people. Does everybody remember that? Only his people. We had a real problem. After Jesus came, died, was resurrected, ascended to heaven, the disciples go out and begin to tell everybody the good news of the gospel. We had a real problem. Gentiles started getting saved. Well, you can't get saved. You're not Jewish. Well, I I know they can't, except they are. And this is quite a discussion throughout the New Testament. What are we supposed to tell them? I mean, they're confessing Jesus is Lord. They're repenting of their sins. They're asking him into their heart. Well, they can't. God's not their God. He's not a God of the Gentiles. He's only the God of the Jews. They can't do that. Well, except they are. Well, they can't. Well, uh, okay, well then tell them to get circumcised, to keep the food laws, and then, then maybe they can get saved. We told them and they're not doing any of that and they still are getting saved. They just keep asking Jesus into their heart and we're telling them you can't except they are. And now to beat all, some of the apostles started going and preaching to the Gentiles. Oh, we got a mess here. Everybody, let's go to Jerusalem and we're gonna, we got to meet about this. Why they go to Jerusalem? Because James was the head of the Jerusalem church. Everybody, all, all the apostles that are out here evangelizing, everybody, let's go to Jerusalem. We got to figure this out. Can the Gentiles get saved or can they not get saved? They had much discussion there in, in, in the first of chapter 15 of Acts. And then James stands up. He, he recaps the conference and then he enunciates. He puts it in, he puts it out there that the Jews can receive Jesus, that Jesus died for all mankind, that Jesus' blood covered the sin of the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And because of what James did in the Jerusalem conference in Acts chapter 15, all of us in here that are not Jews, right there was a turning point for us and it made it okay for us to accept Jesus as our Lord. So when anybody asks you, what's your favorite chapter in the Bible? There's not but one answer. It's, Jane, it's, it's, it's um, Acts chapter 15. The Jerusalem conference where James presided and said, Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died and his blood covers sin for all mankind. So I chase that rabbit trail to tell you James was a real leader. When we had a, this was a major conflict to say the least. So when we got to this point, everybody went to Jerusalem to look to James to lead us in this. James was the leader in the foundation of Christianity. He was Jesus' brother who didn't even believe him the whole time he lived. It's interesting it's interesting. Oh, just show us a miracle. Miracles don't turn anybody around. God, I just wish you'd send a lightning bolt down here and that doesn't turn anybody around. I just wish you'd feed 5,000 people with fish and chips. That, that doesn't turn anybody around. It's a revelation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that turns a heart around. Because James sat right there and watched his brother do all of that and thought he was a kook, thought he was a weirdo. Go, just go do something somewhere else. Make yourself famous. But whenever 
he visited with the resurrection. I mean, he knew he was crucified. He knew he was buried. He held his crying mama. And when he, eye to eye, visited with Jesus. And that right there is what beyond a shadow of a doubt proves the message of Jesus to me. Historians tell us, this isn't in the Bible, but historians tell us, which is pretty accurate reference, that the Pharisees in Jerusalem killed James in 62 AD, had him beaten to death with clubs, and here's what historians say that's, that's recorded. James died saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, that's why I'm a Christian. There's no refuting the resurrection of Jesus. There is no arguing that point. Right here proves that to me. We've got to move on. Number two, second question. This is a letter. Okay, who is James addressing? Go back to James chapter 1. He's writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers that are scattered abroad. All right, 12 tribes of Jewish people, the Jewish nation. This letter is to the Christian Jews, and 19 times James will call them brethren. So they're scattered everywhere. This includes everybody that accepted Jesus. And so he makes this quite clear throughout his letter. Acts chapter 8. Let's get a passage here. Help us understand what we're going to be studying. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all of the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Okay, now now think about, we read the Bible pretty quick, but you have to stop and think about what just happened. All the Christians were right there in Jerusalem. That's where this thing took off. Except the persecution got so severe that it scattered these folks. They were running. They were, they were being scattered, running for their lives, and they went all over the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Verse 4. You know, church, what God meant for your destruction, I mean, what the devil meant for your destruction, God always uses it for good. Okay, now we got this little, little hole of Christians, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Had the persecution not happened like it happened, they didn't have internet. They didn't have Fox News 24-7. I mean, think about it. They didn't even have telephones. There was no way of communicating. Think about this little hole of Christians getting saved, confessing Jesus as Lord, and then they all died. What happened was the persecution scattered them throughout all the region. They're preaching all over the world now, every, the world at that time. Everybody is getting saved. Well, there's no way then that the persecutors could kill all the Christians because now they're everywhere. Look at what was meant to destroy. God turned it around and that was the very thing that he used to 
to bear fruit. Flip over to chapter 11, verse 19. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them. And oh my goodness, a large number of these Gentiles believed and were turned to the Lord. Look at what God did to what the devil meant to destroy the growth and the spread of Christianity. That's just amazing to me. The third question, why did James write this? Each letter in the New Testament has its own special purpose. You read Romans, the entire letter to the Roman church is pretty much a teaching on salvation. That's what the whole study of Romans is. It's a a teaching on salvation. 1 Corinthians, it answers certain problems in the church. Galatians was a letter to warn a group of churches against legalism and false teaching. Titus and Timothy, those were both written to lay out church function, church leadership, how the church is supposed to operate. So as we read James, what is he telling us? What is his message? What are we going to study in these coming weeks? Jewish Christians, at this point, were having problems in their personal lives and in their church fellowship and getting along with people. Persecution and testing was very great. They were facing temptations to sin. Some people began to cater to rich people. Church members were competing and arguing over who ought to hold offices in the church. The major problem that James addresses is many of the people were not living what they were preaching. We've got to talk about this. There were many people that weren't living what they were preaching. Worldliness their tongue, disobedience to God's word, straying from the Lord. James does not deal, and this is going to be one of our themes that all three of us will be discussing. James doesn't deal with all these problems as problems in and of themselves, but he goes to the root of all of these problems, and that is just plain old immaturity. Plain old just immaturity. Come on, guys, let's grow up. How many problems in life could you correct if you just grow up? Come on, come on, just just grow up. The basic theme of this letter is going to be signs that we are to look for of maturity in our walk with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 5, probably a familiar passage to all of us. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and does not know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. We're going to look at chapter by chapter, and we're going to see problems that James deals with 
And each of these have the characteristic of little, child, of little children. Chapter 1. He's going to talk about being impatient in times of difficulties. It's not a strange thing. Hang in here. You're going through a difficult time. Everybody goes through a difficult time. That is a sign of immaturity. You watch how quick a little child will give up on the task when it becomes hard. Give up on the game when it becomes too hard. Anything that gets hard, we want to quit. Chapter 1 is about roll up your sleeves and get tough. Everybody goes through difficulties. Stay tough. Chapter 2, we're going to talk about the problem of people talking it and not living it. And, and I just, you know, we talk about this here in our church. I don't want to see the same statistics in our church as I do with people who never go to church. I, I don't want to say, see the same statistics in sin. Folks in the church ought to be living a different life than folks outside the church. Chapter 3, no control of tongue. What an immature... Come on, control your tongue. Get a hold of your mouth. Quit just spewing your mouth, letting your mouth run away. I just couldn't help my... Come on, get a hold of yourself. That's an immature little kid. You ever been around a little kid? Mommy, mommy, I got to pee. Shh, you don't, don't yell that out. Come on, for crying out loud. You don't yell... See, an immature thing is just yelling something out without... Wait a minute. Is this appropriate? Is this the right time? Is this even what I need to say out loud right now? Is this even something that needs to be said? Do I need to just keep that inside myself? We're going to have to get control of our tongues. We all are. Chapter 4, fighting and coveting. I mean, you watch little kids play. It doesn't matter how many toys are in the floor. They all want the same one. Chapter 5, James is going to talk about collecting material toys. Every problem that James is going to deal with 2,000 years ago is going to be just like he wrote it this morning right to us. And as Paul and Josh join me and we teach this, you'll leave shaking your head thinking, did they see me this morning? What, 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 was James, did James just write that this afternoon as I was leaving work and the way I acted in the parking lot, the way I handled this in my office today, did James just see what I just did? It's going to be so real and it's going to be so personal because the Word of God is alive, it's living, it's active, and is the same today as it was when it was written because sin is sin and all of us face the same battles. I hope you're ready to study James because we sure are ready to get into it. Y'all stand with me. This is going to be a life-empowering thing for our church. But this is going to be great. I, I love to teach James. It's been years and years since we've, we've done this. Uh, and I want you to come in here on Wednesday ready to work. We're going to learn some things. We need to know the Word. We need to have a working knowledge of Scripture. Uh, we need to know what the Bible says. Father, tonight, as we enter into, your, into this study of your Word, God, we ask the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be here and teach us step by step. Your Holy Spirit teach us and train us as we all mature in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.